Well, we're going to have our Bible reading, Romans chapter 8. Remember that the Apostle Paul was in a place called Corinth in Greece, and he wrote this letter to the church in Rome in around about AD 57. He wrote to them because he was telling them that he was going to come and visit them, and he wanted this letter to be a kind of preparation for his visit so that they would know a little bit about him and the message that he was going to preach. Well, we've been studying Romans for quite a while on and off, and we've been going quite slowly through Romans chapter 8, and this morning we come to one of the best verses in the whole of the Bible. But let's read from Romans 8, verse 18 to verse 30. Hear the word of God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is God's true and trustworthy word. We're going to look at verse 28 after we've sung our next hymn. Well, with those words ringing in our ears and chiming in our hearts. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 verse 28 where we see the goodness of God. Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What a verse. It's a favorite amongst hundreds, thousands of Christian people. Uh, we quote it to each other 
so many times, sometimes very flippantly, but it's a wonderful verse. It's a remarkable verse. It's probably on every Christian Bible calendar that's ever printed. We could call it the pin-up verse of Scripture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One person said that this verse is a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. It's a certain group of people that are being addressed here. It's highlighted in our next slide. And we know that it, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So this is a verse about those who love God, those who are called by God. In other words, this is a verse uh, for believers in a good God, followers of Jesus Christ. The, the biggest thing that can ever be said about anyone, uh, a Christian uh, as well, is that they love God. It's the biggest thing you can ever say about them. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Not with compartments of your life, but all of your life. Love God. Now, not everybody loves God. But a true follower of Jesus Christ does. And in many ways, this is the thing that sets a true follower of Jesus, a Christian, apart from every other person in the world. See, there are many lovely and good people in the world. There are many moral people in the world. There are very many nice unbelievers in the world. And they can behave just as well as a Christian, sometimes better than a Christian behaves. Very moral, good people will help refugees and will volunteer for service in places. They'll help the needy, they'll give money to charity, and even recycle. <laughs> but they do not love God. You can get many religious people around as well. They can go to church, they can be faithful churchgoers. Again, sometimes they go to church more than Christians go to church. They can be involved in church life, can upright in the community, and uh, you can look up to them, but they do not love God. This is the distinguishing mark of a believer. She loves God. He loves God. He loves God's character, God's ways, God's wonders, God's grace, God's mercy, God's kindness. To these people, this remarkable and comforting verse and promise is made that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And as we said, this is a verse like a pillow to rest our weary heads. And just as a parent plumps up the pillow for their child before she lays her head down to sleep, so our Father in heaven plumps up this verse pillow to those who love him. The people who love God know something quite extraordinary. And that's our next slide. And we know, the verse starts off with, and we know. So this is not a matter of conjecture. It's not a matter of wavering. It's not a matter of Doubt, it's not a matter of, uh, I hope this is so. It's a, a matter of certainty. We know there is a certainty of faith here. 
So what is it then that those who love God know? What do we know? Well, we know three things. And again, our next slide. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. This is what we know. It's three things in that one sentence. First, God works. We know that God works. We know that God not only made everything at the beginning of time, but we know that God is also sustaining everything and controlling everything in time. God works. We do not think of God as a sleepy old man in the skies who hasn't got a clue what's going on on earth. God works. We do not think of God as a weak, decrepit old thing who cannot lift a finger to help. God works. And we do not think of God as so uninterested in this world that he's thinking about playing marbles with the planets. God works. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day. So it's not right at the beginning that God worked and then left it all. God works now in action every day. God works. The second thing from this uh, sentence that we know is this. One, that God works. Two, God works for our good. For our good. What is the good that God works for? Well, it's not for an easy, carefree, lazy, leisurely, euphoric kind of life that we could have, where we just waltz through life without a problem in the world. No, the good here is defined by the context. And it's real important to actually read Bible verses in their context. So the very next verse, verse 29, tells us what the good is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is the good. The good is that we become like Jesus. That is the best thing that can ever happen to any one of us, to be made like Jesus Christ, as near as possible in this life, and as fully and perfectly that we can be in the next life. This is God's purpose and those who love God have been called according to his purpose. And his purpose is there in verse 29, to make us like Jesus. That is the good that God is working towards. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's to make us like Jesus. So one we know that God works. Two, we know that God works for our good. Three, we know that God works in all things to make us like Jesus. Literally, all things, nothing excluded. Now, obviously, that's the best things of life. When all is going well, then surely we know that God is working for our good. When there are raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens and bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens and brown paper packages tied up with strings, we know God is working for our good. You don't have to convince us about that. That's wonderful. We know that. But it says in all things. 
So God is not just at work in the best things of life. We have to say, if it's all things, that somehow, in some way, God is also at work in the worst things of life. In our trials and tribulations and troubles, when we're discouraged and disheartened and damaged, in the annoying things, the adverse things, the afflictions, God is at work for good. In our failures and faults and foul-ups, in our sorrows and sadnesses and sicknesses, God is at work. In the horrendous, horrible, hurtful things that happen to us, the bitter, the bothersome, and the bad, the pain, the problems, and the persecution, God is at work in all these things, though they be bad things. Because we can't call those things good things. They're bad things. Sometimes they're horrible and painful and bitter and agonizing, ghastly and horrendous things happen to us. They're bad things. And these bad things do not work by themselves for our good. Though we live in a fallen world that, as we've seen, is full of frustration and decay. And most things left to themselves work for bad. But God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. In other words, he turns the bad things to our good. He overrules the bad things for our Christ-likeness. My favorite Bible translation, we've all got our favorite Bible translations, but my favorite one is the New American, New American Standard Bible. It's a great translation. And Romans 8 verse 28 in that translation says that God causes all things to work together for good. So God takes the bad things and works them, works in them to overrule them and makes them turn out for our good. God is at work. The earth isn't mechanistic. It's not that God made it at the beginning and then wound it up like a clock and let it go until it unwinds. Nor is the world like a, a kind of a Duracell bunny that goes on the same way until the batteries run out. No, God made the world, he's at work in the world, and he's taking all things, the good and the bad, to work for our good. God produces Christ-likeness in us through these events, the good and the bad. He hones our character through trials, and there are things that we can only learn in trials that we cannot learn in the good times. And God teaches us dependence on him through difficult times. You see, when things are going well, we just get on with it without calling out for help, like a, a child who thinks that she can get herself ready for World Book Day. But when things are really difficult, we call out for help, like the child who realizes they can't get themselves ready for World Book Day. Mom, help. No, the difficult times drive us back to God. And we need those tough times. Else we would just think we're self-sufficient. And in crying out to God and in depending on God and in trusting on God, we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these are the things we know. We know that God works. We know that God works for the good of those who love him in all things, everything. Knowing this truth will transform our thinking 
about the past, the present, and the future. It certainly transforms our thoughts about the past. In all my life, God has been faithful. That's looking at the past. In all my life, God has been faithful. In all my life, God has taken whatever it is I've gone through and is working in that to make me like Jesus today. I say this carefully because I know that some people have had a dreadful past. Things perhaps that you've done to yourself that has harmed yourself. Sinful things that now we've got guilty consciences about. Maybe abusing our bodies, maybe misusing substances, maybe our transgression or our fall or our criminal offense. Then know that in all those things, God is working for your good. Or maybe there's been things that have been done to you that have harmed you and damaged you. Things you've had no control over. Things that are like as unstoppable as molten lava erupting from a volcano coming towards you to harm you. And you can't stop it. You know it's coming. You've had it in the past. A cruel father or mother. A cruel brother or sister. A cruel uncle or auntie. A cruel family friend. A tyrant of a gang leader. An abusive teacher. An abusive police officer. An abusive pastor. Someone that's made your life an absolute misery. It's in the past, but you can't forget it. Maybe a traumatic situation in your childhood that you still remember, and it comes in such unwelcome moments to replay in your mind, and you still shudder when you think of it. You need to know that God overrules all these shameful, horrible, unspeakable events and turns them to your good to make you like Jesus today. Someone said to me last week at the counseling conference I went to, your past is significant, but your past is not definitive. You may have been shaped or misshaped by your past, and you can't press a keyboard button to delete the memories of the past, but it doesn't shape you today. This verse should shape us today. In all our life, God has been faithful. So if you think that your life has been ruined in some bad thing in the past, then actually you know it hasn't, but that God is working for our good. As John Stott put it, life is not the random mess it may sometimes appear. Now that's difficult to know. And you might well be thinking now, really? Yeah, really. Knowing this will transform our thinking about the past. The past doesn't need to define you today. Horrible that it might have been. But this will also transform our thinking about the now, the present. Notice the context, the first word of verse 28, and every word of Scripture is God-breathed. So this word, and, is there for a purpose. So what does it point us to? It links us to the previous verses that we've been studying over the past weeks. It's, um, it links us to verse 17 and the present sufferings. It links us to verse 26 and the present sighings and groanings that we have 
So along with the present sufferings and along with the present groanings, and we also know, we know the sufferings, we know the groanings, and we also know that God works in all things for our good. In our present situation, God works. And again, you might think, really? I just feel like screaming now. It's like I'm in an unending horror film. The pain in my body, the weakness continually getting me down, the anxiety over my loved ones, the life that has just turned out seemingly bad, the dream that you dreamed in times gone by that has killed you by life itself. But know that in some way and in somehow, even now, God is working in the present things for your good to make you like Jesus Christ. In all my life, he has been faithful. And still today, great is thy faithfulness. We know this, says the Apostle Paul. We know that in the past and in the present, we know that God has been at work. We know it. How do we know it? We know it because of the goodness of God. God is not a cruel monster. He's not uh, some kind of bad father that abuses you or deserts you. He's a good God. And we can know that God is too good to be unkind, too loving to be cruel, and too wise to make a mistake. We can know that. And we can know this not just because of the goodness of God, but because of the ultimate purpose of God. We read in verse 29, which we will go on and look at in the weeks ahead, but we've read of his purpose to make us like Jesus. That's his ultimate purpose. None can thwart his purpose. That will happen. So we know he will make things work to that good. We can know it also because of the evidence from stories of the past. Let me tell you about a lady called Naomi. Naomi lived in a country where there was famine, awful famine. She and her husband and her two young boys had to migrate to a foreign land where she became an immigrant in the land of Moab. There she lived and life seemed to be going well. And then her husband died. And not long after that, one son died. And then another son died. And she was left all alone, childless and a widow. That's not good. That's bad. And she said this in Ruth chapter 1 verse 21. The Almighty has afflicted me. And then the story of Naomi goes on. We know it as the story of Ruth in our Bibles. But it's the story of Naomi just as much. The story goes on about how God begins to unravel all the horror of what happened to her in Moab and how he brings her back to her own land and how there he brings things into her life and he's turned the bad things into the good for her. So that almost at the end of the story, she says this, God has not stopped Showing his kindness to the living and the dead. God has not stopped doing that. He's still doing it. So from the story of Naomi in the Bible, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We know it from the story of a man called Joseph 
Joseph was a young lad, just 17 years of age, when his brothers decided to beat him up and kill him. In fact, what they did to Joseph was to throw him in a pit and plan to kill him later. But then they hit upon a, what they thought was a better plan to do with their young brother Joseph. So they dragged him out of the pit and they sold him as a slave to some slave traders that were passing by. That's a bad thing. It's horrible. And so then Joseph began to live in this foreign country without his father, without anyone, all by himself, a young lad. And there in that foreign country, Joseph was sexually abused by an older lady. And then he was falsely accused of the crime. And then he was thrown into prison for two years. None of those things are good. But God worked them for good. For Joseph loved God. So some of Joseph's last words were in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. He said to his brothers who had come to see him at last, <coughs> You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. From the story of Joseph in the Bible, we know this verse is true. From the life of Jesus, we know this verse is true. Wicked men put him to death by nailing him to a cross where he suffered and died in agony. That is not good. That's bad. But God has used that in all things, that thing, that crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He has used it to turn it for our good in the salvation of our very souls. We can know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever you've been through in the past, whatever you're going through now in the present, God will be working for your good. And whatever you'll go through in the future, whatever may come our way, we know that God will be at work to overrule all of it for good. Whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, we'll be singing when the evening comes. Things you're not looking forward to tomorrow, things you're not looking forward to this week, this month, this year, things, you're not, things you are dreading. Even those things God is going to work in to make it turn out for your good. Even on that day when your strength is failing, your end draws near and your time has come, still then your soul will sing God's praise unending for 10,000 years and then forevermore. And when you stand with the ransomed in glory, seeing the face of Jesus Christ, then you will know everything will make sense. <clears throat> then you will know that all that you have been through, God has been faithful and has worked everything for your good. For then you will be perfectly like Jesus Christ. This week I've been reading a little book <coughs> by a lady called Helen Rosevere. It's the last book she ever wrote before she died. She's written quite a few books. Helen Rosevere was a medical missionary to the Belgian Congo in 1953 to 1973. 
And when she was there during 1964, uh, war, civil war broke out in the country. And she'd been working for many years to improve the medical situation. But when that civil war broke out, all the medical facilities she had established were destroyed. And Helen and nine other Protestant missionaries were put under house arrest by the rebel forces for several weeks, and they were treated shamefully. And Helen Rosevere describes the horror of what happened when she tried to escape. She said that they found me. They dragged me to my feet. They struck me over my head and shoulders. They flung me on the ground. They kicked me. They dragged me to my feet, only to strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth, a mouthful of sticky blood, my glasses gone. Beyond sense, numb with horror and unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed back to my own house, yelled at, insulted, cursed. And she said about her captors, they were brutal. They were drunken. They cursed and swore. They struck and kicked. They used the butt end of rifles and rubber truncheons. We were roughly taken, thrown in prisons, humiliated, threatened, abused. And on October the 29th, 1964, Helen Rosevere says she was raped, brutally so. She writes in her book called Enough, which is about the sufficiency of Jesus. She writes then about the future that she is present in now. She says the promises that on that day when we stand with the ransomed in glory, there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more regrets and no more fears, no more mourning and no more death. All the human emotions and frailties that distract us now, all that causes us to feel less than content, everything that makes us other than happy and at peace, there'll be no more. And on that wonderful day in the presence of Jesus, not only will there be no hindrance to true worship of our beloved Lord and Savior, but there will be an utter fulfillment of all that his grace has procured for us and more. There will be enough time to love him as we should and to worship and serve him utterly as we long to do. For he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of bad things has passed away. Romans 8 verse 28 provides us with a promise, a remarkable promise, a promise that we can know the truth of, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So do not be haunted by your past, and do not be anxious about your present, and don't fear the future. Lay your head on this plumped up pillow of a verse and enjoy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what we've been thinking about this morning is remarkable and extraordinary. But our minds may have been doing somersaults as we try to grasp what it really means for us. And some of us might be having doubts about this verse now. But Lord, it's true. And we can know it. And so in each of the hearts of the people who love you this morning, I pray that this verse would be a good pillow 
for them to lay their heads on. And may we know that all our past has been in your hands, even though we can't understand that. That all our future is in your hands. And that today, as we live, this is in your hands as well. And so, our good God, we thank you that in all things you work for the good of those who love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me close this service now. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful verse of Scripture. So remarkable. Help us to know the truth of what it actually says. Help us, we pray, not to let our past, present, or future trump the truth of this verse. But may this verse control our life. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all God's people forevermore. Amen.